Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline Melanick. Welcome to Chain Reaction, a show that unpacks and dives deep into the latest trends, drama, and news with some of the biggest names in crypto, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious. Hey friends, so this is Jacqueline, as you probably recognize my voice, but I am pretty jet lagged this week because last week I was in Seoul, South Korea for Korea Blockchain Week and Avalanche House Seoul, where I moderated some panels, met with a bunch of investors and founders and people in the industry just to get a better grasp on the crypto space out there. As someone who is based in the U.S., I'm in New York City. A lot of times my conversations and coverage has been centered around America or even a more holistic global perspective because crypto in itself is a pretty global industry. But this gave me a really great chance to dive into the massive and continuously growing Asian crypto market on the ground in real time. Anyways, for this week's news episode, we decided to switch it up a little bit and share one of the panels I moderated out there while I was at the Avalanche House event. It was titled, The Biggest Opportunities and Challenges Facing Enterprise Web 3 for 2024. Obviously, there's a ton to discuss there, and we did just that. So without holding off any longer, we're going to be sharing the live recording, so I hope you all enjoy. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hope your day is going well. As he mentioned, I am Jacqueline Melanick. I am a senior crypto reporter at TechCrunch. And next to me, I have Dan Sun from Google Cloud, and then Gagan Mack from Circle, and Johan Eid from Chainlink. And then at the end, we have Lehan Lee from Zengle. So I guess to start, the panel is obviously about enterprise adoption. I'd love to know all of your thoughts on what is the state of Web3 enterprise today? How do you see it compared to like the past quarters or years with everything that's been going on? Okay, I guess I'll start. So hi, everyone. My name is Dan from Google Cloud. I work on the Web3 startups in the APAC region. So just a quick answer from us is that it is a growing market and it's a market that we're already looking towards to. So we've been seeing what value we could bring to the new emerging markets and what kind of a positioning we should be taking. So we're still discussing, we're still learning, and we're still seeing which values we can provide. Hey everyone, I'm Gagan Mack. I lead a product team at Circle. So I think the, where the enterprises are with Web3, it varies by region. What I see is that in LATAM, there is a lot of acceleration on money movement. In APAC, there's a lot of acceleration on customer engagement use cases. And the rest of the world is a little bit of a mix. It's a mixture of skepticism and optimism. There's a lot of experimentation. So where we have moved from last two quarters is that I think the skepticism because of the debacles has, is starting to subside. And it's very encouraging to be here in APAC where the large enterprises are actually have been investing and continue to invest in the use cases. So I think there's a lot to look forward to. Perfect. Hello, everyone. I'm the CBO of our Chainlink Labs. And uh, thank you for Avalanche for hosting us. So enterprise, I've seen kind of two distinctions. One has been banking partners starting to dip their toes very actively into the blockchain world, right? I think they took their time for a while. I think they've been observing this industry for at least 10 years, right, since 2014, 13, and now they're actually ready. So they started experimenting, they started deploying real-world assets, they're now moving, and I think we're starting to see the beginning of an exponential growth in terms of financial offerings offered by uh, TradFi, 
companies, right? So that's mainly happening from what I've seen in the West, in the US, in Europe. In Asia, I've actually been seeing a huge boom in terms of traditional gaming companies entering the crypto space to start leveraging some of the potential we have in terms of offering an economy to a game, right? So when you have an MMORPG, when you have different types of games in Web2, today it's very hard to set up an economy around this game. You have black markets, you have uh, tons of different uh, places where people trade items, but it's full of counterparty risk. You can actually get, I don't know how to explain better than this word, rugged, in <laughs> quote unquote, by the game developer. In crypto, you do actually have NFT marketplaces to allow for trading. You do have things like verifiable randomness to allow to create items in a fair way, right? So I've seen these two distinctions. One is Asia and gaming companies leveraging crypto for what we can offer to them. Issues which have been around for years and which have prevented the growth of potentially huge ecosystems in gaming. And the other one, which is banking, trot by companies, really actively dipping their toes in crypto. And when I say actively, it means POCs, it means issuing assets. It's really happening at this point. It's not a dream anymore. So, yeah. Hi, my name is Lian. I'm the co-founder of Zengo. We've been working quite closely with enterprises who are trying to adopt Web3 into their businesses. Um, here in South Korea, uh, South Korean market has been quite active in, in terms of adopting Web3 for the enterprises, especially for the larger ones. I think the reason behind this is because Korean companies have the experiences how much a, a certain platform change would affect their businesses in the past uh, experiences like the IT revolution, like the mobile revolution, as well as the uh, social media, how much they are, have affected their businesses and from those experiences, they know that there is opportunities as well as risk if they do not engage into that. I think Johan has mentioned about gaming companies. I think almost every South Korean major game studios are trying somehow to adopt Web3 into their uh, gaming businesses. Not only are they trying just their POC, but they're bringing in their billion dollar IPs into our ecosystem. And they've started to do that since maybe one or two years ago. And I think over time, um, the results will come. What people don't give enough attention is, I think, entertainment. Entertainment businesses, um, because you don't have any uh, stakeholders who would prohibit that uh, in Web3. But on the other hand, if you, for payment, for example, you have a lot of stakeholders who are against a blockchain to enter their market. But for entertainment, nobody is against Web3 because it, it will boost up the businesses overall. So entertainment is some feel that we have a lot of expectation as well. Are there any metrics you follow, Lehan, that kind of track enterprise adoption over the past quarters or so? Are there metrics that you're following that have you've been tracking over the past quarters or so that kind of show that enterprise adoption is happening at scale? So in my view, okay, you have metrics which can be very useful, right? Number of transactions and volume. Those are usually, they're useful, right? However, I think at the point you're in, in the industry, volume and other metrics, they're not representative because we're still a small industry. So those are actually easy to interpret in a wrong way. They're easy to kind of get wrong, right? What I like to see is actually what product is being launched and the frequency at which we see new products being launched from, let's say, banking, TradFi partners, right? A good example, we had 
I think a while ago now, maybe a year ago, Société Générale, uh, French banks start experimenting with uh, stablecoin, right? And for a while, nothing happened. And then we started seeing in the last few weeks, actually, a trend where you have PayPal launching a stablecoin, where you have central banks starting to kind of experiment with this field, right? So that was for the banking TradFi industry. And it's not only stablecoin, just to be clear. Uh, I think we have already some really good providers in uh, the space there. It's also for real-world assets, right? I'm seeing a trend where you're gone from one exciting real-world asset being launched every three months to a new one being launched every three weeks. And this frequency of new launches is really what uh, we've been looking at, at least on our side. And volume, you know, we're always keeping track of volume, right? But that will be a metric that will be more important as the industry grows, in my view. I actually look at, uh, so it's related to what you're saying, Johan. I look at three metrics. So related to the frequency of launches, I look at the total number of developers who are actively building. If you think about how many people code in the world, it's about 100 million people who actually write code in the world. And out of that, only 0.5% right now are building blockchain apps. That number has to go up. We need million plus developers building applications for new use cases to come. So it's the frequency of product launches that will keep accelerating, I agree with you. But for that to happen, we need like more developers, which is a leading indicator. The product launch is a lagging indicator. So that's one. The second thing I look at is the total number of active transacting wallets because these wallets they're not a perfect representation because you know anyone can spin up multiple wallets but the rough approximation of how many users are engaging ideally we would have what i call verified wallets these are like wallets that belong to each user and these wallets are when issued by an entity then it's easier to measure so total number of transacting verified wallets, which describes the user activity. And if we have enough users and enough developers, that should create a flywheel where the whole technology grows. The third metric that I look at is actually pure monetary value that enterprises get out of using blockchain. So we saw recently, I think Dune published these numbers that Nike made 186 million on their crypto kicks. That is phenomenal because it's a short program and that's like real net new value. So we want to keep an eye on how much value our enterprise is actually getting out of investing in this technology because it brings not just UX innovation, it's a business model innovation. If this number keeps going up, then we'll see acceleration in enterprise disruption. Yeah, I think the industry has uh, recently come up to a certain consensus about three metrics, I, I think. One, as I mentioned, number of addresses, whether it's active addresses or whether it's new addresses or whether it's um, cumulative address count. These are one of the indicators that assesses the overall health of a DM or a network. Second would be TVL, whereas it's, it's very hard to manipulate TVL, but it, it has limitations that it only can assess DeFi-related product or, or mainnet. There are applications that are irrelevant of TVL, so that's the limitation. The last one would be number of transactions. So it's similar to number of addresses, but it's also some applications, they do not generate any addresses, but for a big enterprise example, a small number of addresses can generate meaningful number of transactions. So that's also an indicator. What I would like to uh, mention is that you have to be very cautious because in, in terms of on-chain space, it's very easy to manipulate those metrics. So for TVL, it's a little harder. But if you think about the case of Luna, Luna had uh, had a very high level of TVL for a longer period of time. 
So for that, you need to have a proper research, whether that is a mechanism that, that you support, that TVL is sustainable. That's something that you, you need to be very cautious. And um, for other metrics, you, you have to cross-check with other sub-metrics that support that, whether or not it is manipulated or not. So in that aspect, I think research is really important to, to interpret that, those metrics. I'm glad you brought up the Terra Luna situation, which was obviously extremely unfortunate. And it was by Dokwon, who is based in South Korea. And I think that situation coupled with the U.S. regulatory quote-unquote crackdown has kind of impeded the industry. I'm curious if you guys think that's true when it comes to enterprise adoption and businesses coming in. Are you feeling like they're not as inclined as they were prior to those events? Or is the situation with the U.S. potentially getting a Bitcoin ETF actually making it more appealing? Yeah, so... I think in any industry that grows as fast as we're growing and where you have, you have two things going in crypto. One is that we're completely global. Anyone can build in this industry. Anyone can release a product no matter where they are, right? And second one is that it's a free market, which means very fast experimentation. So when you start combining these two factors, one is the fact that you're global and that it's very easy for anyone to launch a top and the nature of the free market economy, which is basically moving fast, moving fast, and things do break, then I think incidents like what happened with uh, Luna, what, I, what happened with FTX, are unfortunately part of the experience, right? And we need to see the full picture because there is good and there is bad. Those are the two bad things, right? However, the good, the good is very, very easy to see, right? Three years ago, four years ago, we were in a very, very different industry. I remember when you go, went to a conference, 200, 300 was probably, you know, the max you should expect. You didn't have conferences of 3,000, 6,000 people. You didn't have a fully decentralized financial system. You didn't have trillions of dollars that flowed into crypto overall, right? I mean, it's been, it's an industry that has secured and where the amount of value enabled has been in the trillions, right? So, I think the good far, far outweighs the bad. When you grow, you have good, you have bad. And I think what we've had in the last few years fully kind of compensates for the bad stuff that happens. I actually have a slightly different take. I actually think that uh, incidents like Terra Luna severely erode trust. And I find it ironic because blockchain as a technology is supposed to instill trust because everything is on chain, it's verifiable mathematically. And it's ironic that people lose trust in the technology. And I think like the question you asked earlier about metrics is a really important one because it's easy to fool ourselves with optimism and with top of funnel metrics from what is actually driving value. And while we can have really high numbers at the top of funnel, right? Like we can think about the amount of investment that's going in. We can think about the number of people who start developing, like 1.5 million developers downloading Web3.js in the beginning. But then unless that translates, that optimism needs to translate into lasting value. And when incidents like Terra Luna happen, when incidents like FTX happen, a lot of companies lose trust. If, you have, if I'm the CEO of a company and I want to invest my finite resources, I'm going to invest in the highly probabilistic bet where I'm going to make a large return. And the risk is that when the hype cycle fades away, then the investment goes into the next new thing, like crypto downturn. Is, is there any correlation between crypto downturn lasting longer because of the AI cycle 
growing really fast. Why is VC investments moving from crypto into AI so rapidly? That is what happens when we focus on top of funnel. That is what happens when lasting value is not proven over a period of time. So to me, it's like every time there is a debacle like that, it is a big dent for the industry. Now, the good part is that I agree with you that there is good parts. The good part is that we haven't lost our optimism. The good part is that when I come to APAC and I see like companies like SK Telecom, who are a traditional telecom, have been investing for the last five years and they continue to invest in their Web3 programs. Companies like Line, they have built like such a fast-growing NFT platform within a span of a year. Companies like Krafton, they announced their own blockchain. These are like phenomenal examples of enterprises who are not losing optimism. Now, what we have to do as a community is like just hunker down and make sure that we're delivering value. And unless that happens, we'll always, always be stuck in this hype cycle where top of funnel metrics determine whether we all are making an impact or not. Yes, and I definitely agree with Gagan that Lunaterra or instance like FTX has been a big pushback for our industry. Um, regulators are now much more cautious into opening up the market for the public, especially. And enterprises, they do tend to care about regulation because the most risk they can take is, is like they can try Web3 and it might not turn out to be a good investment. But if that trial affects their existing businesses and undermines their businesses, then that might cause problems. So in terms of enterprise decision making, it has been a pushback. What I think is more fundamental than the incidents of FTX and Luna's are, however, is that we didn't actually come up with an application that we can represent and say Web3 has done something very good for the world. Like we, we haven't come up to any, any kind of application that we say that did make our lives better. And that has several reasons. One of the reasons I think is our infrastructure wasn't ready. Like if you think about three, four years ago, we weren't ready even for CryptoKitties. But throughout the years, I think uh, we made a lot of progress in terms of infrastructure. I think Chainlink did a lot of job in, the, in that sense. So we're getting there. Now we are getting close to a mature infrastructure. Now we need applications. And I think enterprises are a very good option for, in terms of our ecosystem because they are less inclined to short-term incentives. Like native Web3 applications, we, we thought we, we have found the killer application that could feed us. We thought DeFi would suffice. We thought NFTs, P2Es, DAOs would be sufficient to, to nurture our ecos uh, application ecosystem. But it turned out to be, as soon as the market sentiment changed, all the users that there were for short-term incentives, they, they vanished. And now we need help from enterprises because they can help us with their existing assets and users to utilize our infrastructure. And I think enterprises should have much more support from, from the Westway community. That's such an important point. I'll get to you. It's like right. the fact that enterprises who have proven applications that are being used by a lot of people, them succeeding with Web3 is so critical for proving out that this technology actually can add lasting value. It's like, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree too. So like, um, with the whole Luna and the FTX issues, like, so there were definitely goods and bads. The bads were, of course, like, these things happen, the Web2 startups, the, the enterprises, like, we're going to get scared. Like, we're going to be more careful on coming to Web3. But also, it's going to take longer for us to adopt the whole concept and try to move what we've been doing 
into a new, completely new industry that we're not the first mover in the industry. But then on the other hand, like mentioned, it teaches us a lesson, right? Like teach a lesson that me coming from a fintech background, like these were issues that were never supposed to happen in the Web2 industry. So with the whole optimism in the market and people just, it's not the blockchain or the technology that had the issue, but it was more of on the company or the products where the entire, like how they marketed the entire services. So I think it does give us a good peel, like a good medicine to have us learn that. So we still need to be careful and we still need to learn what's the core of the technology and the idea behind it rather than what's being shown about outside. So with these things, I think it will help the web tools to slowly, but also surely to get into the industry or the market. There's one more thing to add on applications. It's very interesting. So when we think about applications like going all the way back, right? When the Wright brothers invented the plane, there was no airport. There was no infrastructure for the, the planes. When the light bulb was invented, there was no electricity grid. The light bulb was an application. The Wright brothers' invention of a glider, that was an application. The infrastructure helped scale it worldwide, brought it to millions of people. We are at a point where the infrastructure has matured. It's good enough for us to now find that application that actually is a lighthouse application that works conclusively without an iota of doubt that it adds value. And the infrastructure will take care of itself. So obviously there are crypto use cases and blockchain technology use cases for enterprise adoption. But do you think that the big wave or the moment, the aha moment, may like what AI had with chat GPT will come from an internal Web3 native company, or will it be created by a big brand or enterprise outside of the industry that uses this technology to create that use case for a big wave of adoption? Well, we provide parts, so we call it parts rather than ChatGPT. But then, so we see ourselves more as like a, a infrastructure provider where the provider for the foundations of the tech or the hardware in the industry. And we work with the Web3 startups to have them build a stronger application, stronger AI that's adoptable to the Web3 specific markets for its individual markets, the apps. So we as Google, I think we concentrate on what we can provide or what value we can provide in the market as a Google and what we do best. And at least at this point, we don't see ourselves going heavily into making a Web3 product, especially for a certain markets, especially on the AI side too. So whether it'll be a startup or an enterprise, I can tell you what signals we see right now and what my personal belief is. The signals that we see right now are that the innovation is coming more from enterprises and they're able to prove out the innovation more. Like the examples I take are in customer engagement, I look at Nike, Starbucks, another interesting statistic, right? NFTs are 98% down in value. 95% of the creators are losing money on NFTs. But every single person who minted a Starbucks NFT with their Odyssey program, they're all positive. The value of their NFTs has grown, right? So we have evidence to suggest that the value is coming from enterprises. However, I believe like the startups are going to be disruptive. I believe like there will be incremental value that the enterprises bring in because they have a set customer base. So for them, it's easy to prove out how technology, how blockchain is going to add value, net new value to their use cases. But then when we think about like the breakthrough, the breakthrough innovations, the breakthrough business models, that'll have to be a startup just by mechanics of it that we have seen over and over in the tech industry again. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And by the way, this does kind of go with my point earlier, which is obviously Terra, FTX, very, very bad 
And you know, these events have been terrible. That's why we've been, we've been focusing on security for the past five years at Chainlink to prevent hacks from Oracle hacks, bridge hacks now with CCIP, right? So whenever someone loses money, it's extremely bad. However, the good aspect, right, coming out of it is that enterprise adoption didn't slow down. It's actually been accelerating. Bank adoption didn't slow down. It's been going up. Gaming from Web2 companies in Japan, in Korea, is accelerating, right? So that's really the good aspect which makes me positive, which, you know, having been in this industry for so long, you do need to be because <laughs> we go through a lot of very, very rough patches. And at the end of the day, it's always about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And to me, that's the light. It hasn't stopped. It's actually been accelerating. And my take is that Web3 startups have been experimenting for years. And they've actually shown unique use cases you can have with fully programmable money, with money markets, with derivatives running on chain. And I think what will happen is that the big breakthrough moment will happen as this tech, which already exists, which is already secure, gets adopted by Web2, by banks, by gaming, by all of these folks which are flowing into the industry. Because those use cases are here already. They, they already exist, right? What we need now is adoption and liquidity. And this will come through the Web2, the enterprises adopting us. So yeah, that's my take on, on this one. I think both parties have chances. I think both organizations have its strengths in, in different applications. So why I think uh, enterprises have their edge is that they tend to think about users in a more neutral sense. You know, Reddit, for example, they, they have managed, by the way, 18 million wallets with their avatar NFTs. And they didn't even use the term NFT. They used the term digital collectibles. The problem is that we in this industry, we, we tend to link our identity as being one of the Web3 people. And we, we use terms that a usual person can hardly understand. Like NFTs, DeFi, these alone are very difficult terms. Now we're talking about account extraction, we're talking about CCIPs. <laughs> and all this uh, technical jargon, I think, as a barrier for ordinary people to get used to it. So in that sense, I think enterprises have a lot of edge. Um, on the other side, as Jacqueline mentioned about AI, I think AI and this kind of revolution that AI has, the level of sophistication that AI has reached recently gives this Web3 industry a lot of chance. Because if you think about it, enterprises are now willing to pay for AI services. And what are the ingredients that makes AI models? It's the data. And what's the infrastructure that can deal with those data? The best, I think, and with incentives that contribute to those data, I think it's a blockchain, it's a public chain. So in that sense, it has opened up a lot of opportunities. For those kind of applications, I would rather bet on the startup side because startups are tend to think more radically and they tend to capture those opportunities very, very quickly. So, so I hope that answers your yeah. question. Yeah. So you actually both your comments sparked another thought, right? Like that it depends on the use cases also. Like you're seeing the acceleration from banks, right? The interesting part is that in money movement use cases, there is a regulatory and licensing barrier for startups. It's like very expensive to acquire MTLs and pull value from fiat into crypto. And that barrier is, is hard to overcome. And that's something that I think with a little more legal clarity, it'll become better. It'll become better. There are companies that are, there are compliance firms that are solving it. Companies like ZeroHash are helping startups with that. So that's where the TradFi folks have a little bit of an edge. In customer engagement use cases, where anything to do with NFTs in gaming, e-commerce, media, 
there i think startups are unhinged right like there you can do a lot more without getting bogged down by being shut down from a regulator in a few months time so there i think like startups will definitely have an edge in innovating one business model for the crypto companies on stage and dan please feel free to chime in as well but for you three are there specific sectors out of the ones that you mentioned of banks gaming small to medium businesses whatever it may be that you really want to drive the most enterprise adoption from like is there a focus on one of those verticals opposed to others and if so what's kind of pushing that for you so I think for us, the focus for a while has been providing secure infrastructure for these uh, enterprises to come in the first place, right? Because the thing which was really freaking out companies was all the hacks you had happened in 2019, in 2020, when we were still building this space, right? When you have a system which fails, kind of like what uh, happened with FTX, etc., that's a risk that's proper to the system, right? But when you have failures on Ethereum due to Oracle issues at the time, bridge hacks, etc., those are infra issues which could affect the whole space, right? So for us, the focus has been, in general, solve infrastructure security through CCIP, through crypto price fees, through all of these items, right? And then regarding industries. Well, industries, some of them move faster than others. Gaming is moving very fast. Banking is starting to move fast. Insurance, we would love to see insurance, but insurance does move slower. However, we've been discussing insurance for years at this point because we think this is a huge, very important kind of crypto can basically make this industry as a whole so much more efficient and so much more accessible to the global world, right? So the issue with insurance is that it's hard to get in Asia. In some places in Asia, it's hard to get in some places in Africa. Crypto, through its global nature and through the elimination of some counterparty risks, makes this insurance product so much more accessible, right? So for us, we've been aiming to secure the infrastructure, to make it secure, to make it safe, to accelerate adoption from gaming, banks, and we do want to see more and more of these uh, kind of uh, use cases like insurance coming, but each enterprise does move at their own pace, so we try to support the ones that move faster while making sure the other ones can also onboard once they're ready to go. Yeah. In our case, I'm most excited about, like you asked about, like which vertical cross-border money movement, in my mind, is the one that is a slam-dunk use case for acceleration. That's something which we're already starting to see in then the number two on my list is like customer engagement. I've mentioned it a couple of times. That encompasses gaming, e-commerce. I bucket all of that in customer engagement because that's the end goal of the companies. So there I'm like vertical agnostic in a way because I think the learnings from one vertical apply very easily to the other one. Now, I'm a big fan of CCIP, CCTP, the technologies that are abstracting away, going back to Lehan's point about like, you know, abstracting away the blockchain primitives and connecting the fragmented spaces. Uh, so that's why we are building like Web3 services to just enable enterprises across verticals to be able to benefit from the core constructs of the technology. But yeah, cross-border money movement and customer engagement across verticals in my mind. I think I already answered by answering the other questions. I think gaming, of course, gaming, a lot of people have expectation for gaming industry uh, to disrupt. But I think less people are focusing their attention to entertainment. Like entertainment, there the users are pretty much the younger generation who can easily uh, digest the old Web3 experiences. There is nobody in inside entertainment businesses who is against adopting NFTs or Web3 infrastructure. And it has the least 
correlation to regulation. So it, it doesn't have any regulatory hurdles. So that's another advantage. Another industry that I am focusing on are is advertising. Because advertising, there you have a lot of entities and you would uh, distribute some incentives based on their contributions. So in, back in 10, 10 years ago, when we had our first smartphones, uh, we had a lot of application utilizing that personal device environment to distribute incentives. So now, because blockchains are very efficient infrastructure to distribute in- incentives based on your contribution, I think there are a lot of opportunities to yeah, dig into. So these three. Okay. To wrap things up, I would love to hear all of your thoughts on where do you see this going in 2024? If you had a crystal ball, what do you see in it? Well, a bull market for sure. Hope. But overall, so we do see the entire industry getting more mature. So we see companies that are actually providing, like we mentioned, so like services for like um, the apps that have a monetary values or they're providing values to the customers and the users. You have a real user base and actual MAU and a DAU coming out. So we do see a more healthier industry being built, especially at this bear market. So hopefully we see some actual application services or products in the market that brings value to the customers. And through that, we can build the entire industry at a more healthier stage. So you said 2024, right? You can say the rest of 2023 to 2024. So that's like six months out. I would think like we are on a cusp of like massive improvements in user experience because I do believe like account abstraction solves a lot of problems and uh, we will start seeing the technology become much, much easier to use for users. So through that, I do believe like with the projects in the pipeline that I'm seeing, we will see super apps of the world, like the larger applications of the world that have existing users more than let's say a million plus users, them accelerating adoption. So I see that existing Web2 enterprises who are aggregators of users, we'll see multiple of these having crypto wallets. So that's like the number one thing I would say. The second is I do believe there will be better clarity on the money movement use cases because of the progress we are seeing in Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, somewhat in the United States also with regulation. So I do believe like companies will start taking more chances with, to your point on TradFi, I do believe that there'll be like more real world connections and more real world assets that'll get tokenized and more finance use cases will start seeing adoption, but I think it'll still be early in 2024. So I, I have my hopes in 2024 with the Web2 enterprises that are like super applications leading the way. Yeah, um, I'm going to make a summary of what I've been saying earlier. To me, the next probably 12 months, right? We're going to keep seeing three things in my view. The first one will be enterprises, as we all know, it's always going from zero to one here, right? So zero to one has happened in many sectors, in gaming, in TradFi, um, I hope it happens soon in insurance. Entertainment is uh, something we've been looking uh, at for, for some time and it's already been happening there, right? So now we're actually in the phase of one to N scaling. And the one to N is going to mean that the frequency of new launches from all of these companies is going to accelerate. And these companies, for most of them, will bring some of their user base slowly. They'll bring some of their liquidity slowly into the space. This will mean more users. That's the second thing. Adoption will come from these enterprises. Users will follow because users, kind of like companies, they do wait. 
until they see others doing it, right? So that's the mass adoption. Most people will wait until they have confirmation that something is good to use, and usually they consider it's good to use by seeing some parties they trust get into it, right? And they trust companies, they trust banks, they trust web to gaming companies, etc. right? So adoption will start coming from people, right? People will get more and more into crypto, more and more into blockchain. I think we have the right baseline of infrastructures, right? Secure baseline. We have cross-chain, we have uh, price feeds, we have randomness for games. So the infra is there. And the third thing that will keep improving once we have enterprises and users who follow will be usage. It will be a how friendly is the UX when we get into crypto. People have been working on UX for a long time. I think we've done some good things there, some less good things, but some companies have done amazing work here. So I do think we were really on the right path for the adoption to keep going, basically. We have the companies, we have the users, and I think the UX is already very, very good and it will keep getting better for a space. So I'm super optimistic for the next uh, one year. Yeah. Yeah, I think the other panelists have covered a lot and I 100% agree with uh, the other panelists. Uh, just to add a small thing, I think we've been through the bear market for about two years. Looking at the past, bear market didn't last that long. So towards the end of the year, I think the market sentiment will be better and next year it's going to be better. And this actually will help enterprises to make decisions to decide to enter the market. It will feel it much more comfortable to open up the market and I know a lot of gaming studios, they are already built their applications, but they're waiting for the market conditions to be better. So those kind of applications will also coming up. So I'm pretty optimistic for the future. All right. Love to hear it. Thank you guys for taking the time to share your insights. And thank you to everyone else for listening in. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with conversations around what's going on in the wild world of Web3 with top players in the crypto ecosystem. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform and subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and stories we talked about can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us at Chain underscore Reaction on Twitter. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Jacqueline Melanick, and produced by Maggie Stamets, with assistance from Yashad Kulkarni and editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and Henry Picavet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks for listening in. See you next time.